Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Open your Bibles up to the book of Revelation. Boy, I haven't preached with a microphone in a long time. The book of Revelations, chapter 3, and we want to continue on with the seven churches of Revelation. Now, if you remember, last week we talked about the church of Sardis, and the church of Sardis is the church that misses the rapture. The church of Sardis is the church where God said, you have a reputation for being alive, but I know you're dead. What? Oh, okay. Thanks. (laughs) I thought you were going to shake my hand. God says to the church of Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive and I know you're dead. Now, to go over this real quick, because this will compare with today's church, the church of Philadelphia. The reason why the church of Sardis was dead is because they had lost the Holy Spirit and they stopped teaching on the word of God. I want to say that again. They lost the Holy Spirit and they stopped teaching the word of God. We need to understand that when the Lord says to the seven angels in Sardis, the seven pastors, he says, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God, the seven anointings of God. And what God is saying to the pastor, and understand when he says it to the pastor, he also says it to the people. He said, you've got to understand it is me who builds the house of God. It is me who gives you power in your hands to gain wealth. It is me. And when we forget that it's him, we are headed for trouble. And like we said last week, Samson, the glory of God had departed and he didn't even know it was gone. Now, the reason I'm saying that is that we have to watch and make sure that what happened to Sardis does not happen to us. And Sardis became a place of social gathering rather than a place of the presence of God and lives being changed. The way that we make sure that doesn't happen is that we never forget. You know, and, and I, I've told you this story before, but a few years ago, Pastor Scott and I were asked to come and meet some heads of security in, in Israel, and they said, we watch what's on television. And this man, he didn't know anything about Christianity. He's an Orthodox Jew, head of the security. And he said, what's happened in America? people don't even bring their Bibles to church anymore. And we need to make sure, now I understand that some of you have Bible on your phone. I understand that. But can I encourage you to bring your Bible? And when you have your Bible, if something's in there, write on it. Now, I've tried writing on my my screen and my phone, but I would encourage you to bring your Bible and write on it. And I'm going to tell you why today. Let's read in Revelations chapter 3, verse 7. This is the church of Philadelphia. Sardis is known by God as the dead church. 
the church of Philadelphia is known by God as the faithful church. Let's read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things, says he who is holy, he who is true, and he who has the key of David, and he opens and no one shuts, and he shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not. You know, every time, I'm not going to hit on this today. I'll probably hit on it next, next time we teach. But let me just throw this in. When it says, indeed, I make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not so many times, if you go to the internet and you look, what does this mean? It's, it's talking, God's talking about Jews and they're of the synagogue of Satan because they killed Christ. Read what it says. It says those who say they're Jews, but they're not. It's not talking about the Jewish people. It's talking about fake leaders. It's talking about those who say they're leaders, but they are not. Okay, so it's not an anti-Semitic. And, and it's amazing, even in today we live, people use this still as an anti-Semitic term. All right, but lie, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my commandment to preserve, I also will persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of the trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the church of Philadelphia. We know that the word Philadelphia means brotherly love, and this is a key to why God has nothing bad to say about this church. Now, let me just throw in a little side note here. On Friday, I taught on Shabbat Hagadul, the great Sabbath, and I talked about Christ in the Passover, and I, I read the whole thing. But I hit a little bit on the Haftorah, the, the part that comes along as a prophetic message to the great Sabbath and Passover and Christ in the Passover is Malachi chapter 4. And the very last words, the very last words of the last prophet in the Old Testament were, the hearts of the sons will turn towards their fathers and the hearts of the fathers will turn towards their son. This is a sign of the coming of the Messiah. Now, if you read that in Hebrew, it says, by loving one another, by the sons loving the fathers and the fathers loving the sons. 
I'll send my prophet and he will announce the coming of the Messiah. Now that has two meanings. It has physical and spiritual. One in the last days. You know, you think about the prophecy of the last days that children will be disobedient to their parents. That's one of the signs of the last day. But the Lord said, I'm going to reverse that curse and I'm going to have the son's hearts go to the father's and the father's hearts go to the son's. And so what Satan's meant for evil, God is going to use it up, use it for good. There is a new generation. I believe I'll see the coming of the Messiah. I believe I'll see the coming of Jesus. But while we're waiting for him to come and we're doing what we're doing, God is raising up the young people, the 17, 18, 20, 30, 40 year olds that will come up as great leaders in the kingdom of God. It's prophesied. And God says this only happens by loving one another. But listen to the last words. He says, and if you don't do that, I'll destroy your city. Now, it may mean I'll destroy Dallas or I'll destroy Boston or whatever, but your city is your city. And so he says, you got to love one another. Now, that's the physical side. The spiritual side is the hearts of the sons will go to the fathers. The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. The sons is the church. We can talk about the prodigal son. And what God says in these last days, the Christians will all of a sudden through love, love the Jewish people. And the Jewish people will all of a sudden through love, love the Christian people. I just came back from Israel. We've been teaching standing with Israel for 28 years. I have never seen the Jewish people love the brotherhood of Christians, like I did two weeks ago, it is growing worldwide. And folks, you and I are a big part of leading the world in that happening. And God said, when this happens, your city won't be destroyed, but we will be blessed because I will bless those who bless you. This is an amazing thing that we're seeing. And here we have the essence of this in the church of Philadelphia the church of brotherly love. The Bible says a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. You know, when I was looking at this and I was studying this in brotherly love, I I thought about when I first became a Christian. You know, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about anything. I knew nothing. I had no religious background whatsoever. When I first got saved, before I got saved, I was working. I, I, I ran from St. Louis, Missouri to Flagstaff, Arizona, because there were seven federal warrants out for my arrest. I like to tell people I ran from the long arms of the law to the strong arms of the Lord. And I was a drug addict. I was snorting cocaine and heroin. I was shooting cocaine and heroin. I got a job and I found out later that the job I got, this lady was a elder in her church and and nice lady and stuff, but never told me about the Lord, never told me about the kingdom of God. You know, I had hair down to here and earrings and, you know, obviously, you know, high most of the time. But when I came back to work one day, I said, you guys won't believe what happened. They said, what? I said, last night I went to this church and I got saved. I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. You know what her response was? What denomination? 
You know what my response was? Uh, the Christian one? <laughs> See, I didn't know that the kingdom of God is so divided on Sunday mornings. There are no Baptists going to heaven. There are no new beginnings going to heaven. There are no assembly of God going to heaven. There are no Presbyterians, well, especially Presbyterians. There are no, there are no Catholics. They're only children of God going to heaven. So when this lady said, what denomination? I said, you know, I wouldn't be a smart aleck. I didn't know what that meant. I just said, the one with Jesus. The town I got saved in, Flagstaff, Arizona, had at that time, what, 25,000 people in it? And there was one denomination there, a mainline denomination, a town of 25,000 people. And the same denomination had seven different churches. The same denomination. It had a richer white church, a poorer white church, a black church, a Hispanic church, a Native American church. And I'm thinking, y'all live five minutes from each other. You can do more damage with an aircraft carrier than you can with seven canoes. But this is the enemy's strategy. Divide and conquer. Jesus said these words. They will know... That well, go, turn with me to John thirteen. Let, let, let's let's take a moment to look at that. John thirteen, verse thirty four. Look at what Jesus says here. He says a new commandment, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean oh, I've ne- God's never said this before. It it literally means the Hebrew word would be, I'm refreshing. I'm pushing the refresh button on this, because you guys are all fighting amongst each other. So he says, a new commandment, a fresh commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I loved you. Now, let me stop right there. Well, they're doing it wrong, and they're doing it wrong, and they're doing it wrong. I don't know about you, but when Jesus first loved me, I was doing it as wrong as anybody could. Now, I'm going to share this with you. This does not give you license to go do this. The night I got saved, one of the girls that was with me, were, they were, we were living in a house. We were drug dealers. We were smoking dope, growing dope, chewing dope, eating dope. And I came to church that night and got saved. I mean, man, I, we, we walked out and go, what was that? And so to celebrate being born again, I went out and bought a bag of dope and a bottle of whiskey. That is not licensed to do that. The Bible says God winks at our sins. In my case, God went. I did it as wrong as anyone. But look at this. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. This, by this, they will know that we are disciples of Jesus. About the big Bible we carry, about the big cross, that all of a sudden we don't say God, we say God. (laughs) Almighty God, I serve. No, he said, by this they'll know you are my disciples if you have love 
white people for white people, black people for black people, Mexican people for Mexican people, Baptist with Baptist, Lutheran with Lutheran. No, he said this is the only thing that shows we are not just religious, but we are disciples of Jesus Christ, that we love one another. Matter of fact, God says, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, you are a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You cannot say, I love God, but I don't love you because you don't baptize the way I baptize or you don't praise the way I praise or you don't dance the way I dance or you don't speak the way I speak or you eat different than I eat. If you say you love God and God is nothing but love, you're a liar. The church of Philadelphia is the church that God had nothing bad to say about it, and it began with loving one another. You know, in in a lot of ways, I think it was really good that I didn't grow up in church because I, I, I wasn't raised around church politics. We, we, have, a, we have a policy here. If you come and badmouth somebody on staff to me, you're fired. You're fired. Because if you'll badmouth them, you'll badmouth me. Say amen. I can remember when I first got saved, and John will know who I'm talking about. I won't mention names, but somebody was opening a big new studio in California. And uh, they graciously invited me to come to this studio. Why me? Because I was barely, I was just being introduced to, to uh, uh, Christian television. I, I didn't have a name at that time. And so I ended up in the back office um, with these two giants of Christianity. I mean, giants of Christianity. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And we're in the back, and, and we're, they're just talking. They're talking about this person suing them and that person doing this and that person doing that. And, and, and I'm pretty new to, you know, when I first got saved and Tiz and I went in the ministry, all we dealt with was were drug addicts and prostitutes. That's all we dealt with, you know, people on the streets and, you know, no religious background. Now, all of a sudden, I'm kind of getting into Christian television and... and, and I'm seeing other things and I'm hearing these two great, great men of God talking about these battles that they go through because this person doing that, that person doing that. And I said, you know, I said, I don't understand this. I said, people on the streets, that's where I'm from. People on the street, we know more about covenant than it seems like people in the church. Jesus said, they out there will know we in here belong to him up there by one thing. We love one another. We don't love people because they're perfect. Thank God. And, and he says, as I loved you, I, I thank God that God, when I, when I came in the church, I had no shoes on. 
I had no shirt on. I had a poncho. I just moved from Columbia, South America, where I was in the import-export business of all natural substances. And I thank God God didn't go, get out of my house. Go clean up. No, he said, as he first loved us, he loved me not because he loved me in spite of. And we are to love one another if we are truly the disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, I met with a rabbi in Jerusalem many years ago, ultra-Orthodox rabbi who knows Jesus is the Messiah. And he said to me, he said, Larry, can I, can I tell you two things that really confuses Jews about Christianity? And I've shared this with you before. And I said, sure. He goes, number one, he said, if you, they say, if you Christians have invited the son of God into your heart, if you've met God, why do you still think God is so mean? He said, the other thing is, is if you have the spirit of God in you, why are you so mean to each other? See, some of the meanest, nastiest, most negative people I've ever met are in the house of God singing, I love you, Lord, but what's that guy sitting next to me? Say amen. Amen. Mean, gossip backbiting, negative. And here we have the church that is the example of those who not only make the rapture, but they go out with a shout. They go out with the blessing and the power of God. And the first thing he says is that they are a church that loves one another. Now let's look at the second thing. Look at verse chapter seven uh, or verse seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these things says he who is, number one, who is holy. Now, every other church so far, God has described himself as something that John saw in the vision in chapter 1. But here he changes this, and he doesn't describe himself as John saw in the vision, But he describes himself this way. Number one, the first thing, the most important thing, the avos. Here's what I am. I am a holy God. Now, I know we live in a day and age in which the church world, much of the church world is changing that. Much of the church world is saying, well, that was 2,000 years ago. It's different nowadays. The Lord says, I am the Lord your God, and I change not. When God said to the first church, I am a holy God, he is now saying that to the last church, and we need to hear that louder than ever before. I am a holy God. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence that as I'm teaching this, you may be listening to this on, on a disc sometime later, but I'm teaching this just as we're going into Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we're going into Passover. When they brought the Passover lamb in, they would, God says to the children of Israel and Egypt, take that lamb and tie it to the bedpost of your house. And it must be an unblemished lamb. And they tied it four days. When Jesus 
came in riding in on a donkey. They checked him out for four days, trying to find a flaw with Jesus, and they could not find a flaw. Even Pilate, he said, I find no flaw. I find no fault in this man. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the unblemished Lamb of God. And then he says to you and I, as he who has called you is holy, 1 Peter 1, 15, as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. In Malachi, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God and I do not change. Our God is a holy God. And he expects us to be holy people. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what the school system says. I don't care what anybody says. Let all men be liars, but let God be truth. Our God is a holy God. And you know what? It, 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 we're shocked when a pastor is, and, I, and I'm not saying any, you know, anybody's human. Anybody can fall. I'm not making an excuse for that. But the world looks at us as Christians of being an example of being different. We're not to be like the world is. We're to be a different kind of people. Not what the world says, but what the word of God says. Turn with me to, this just popped in my head. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. This just popped in my spirit. Turn with me to book of Romans chapter 12. We live in a day in which too many pastors and too many Christians are trying to make Jesus contemporary. And I understand if Jesus came riding in today, he probably wouldn't be riding in on a donkey. He would probably be riding in on a a Bentley. Thank you, Jesus. But he doesn't change who he is. And we don't change who we are. Look at this just popped into my spirit. Look at um, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy. Say holy. Holy. Say holy. holy. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, how do we do that? Look at the next verse. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be, look at me real quick. Do not be conformed by this world. You think about the world. We have television going on. We have things at work and things at school. And, you know, uh, you know I, I think the Internet is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because, you know, I'm a bookaholic. Uh, when people send me books, you know, I, I just had a, a Jewish professor from Boston send me four books. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at these and I'm going, oh, my gosh. But with the Internet, I have the, I have the libraries of the world to me. But at the same time, you can use the Internet to study the Word of God, or you can use the Internet to be conformed to this world. 
You think about social media. Man, we need to get our kids off the internet, get them off the phone, turn that thing off. You know, uh, I'm just going to throw this in real quick. I don't know if I've shared this with you. When we were down in Brazil, there's a church down there, and the guy runs something like... Uh, where's Wanderson? 300,000 people that the big church, the, the, the Solomon's temple, he has churches all over 300,000 people. You go into his church. His church is a giant replica of Solomon's temple. Every stone in that church is came from Israel. It cost him $400 million to build it. But when you come into that church, you've got to check your cell phone into a little box because it's not time to be on the cell. It's time to be in the presence of God, put the world aside and walk into the presence. I thought, man, that is amazing. Of course, it doesn't work. They only have 300,000 people to do that. But besides that, we've got to understand that here Paul says, do not be conformed by this world. Conform means you're, you're a clay, and the world shapes you the way it wants to shape you. It molds you the way it wants to mold you. It's, it's happening in Hollywood. Who would, who would listen to Hollywood anyway? Come on. It ha- it, you, know, you, you let your little girls watch these women, these women dance half naked on a video. has nothing to do with the music. It all has to do with being ungodly. You can't let the world mold you. You can't listen to CNN and MSNBC. You can't listen to the fake news and let the world mold you. And then your kids are on social media and the world's molding them. Paul gives a warning and he said, be not conformed. Don't let this world mold you. I am the Lord thy God and I change not. But he says, be transformed. A molding is pressure from the outside. A transformation is an anointing that comes from the inside. Look at what he says. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The world's bombarding you. The world's bombarding your kids. The world's bombarding your family. The world's bombarding your marriage. And God said, don't let the world conform you. Don't let them mold you. But you be transformed from the inside out. How? By the renewing of your mind. One of the greatest tricks Satan had was come up with the visitor-friendly church. We're only going to be there 55 minutes. We're getting bombarded by the news and by television and by the media and by the some of the school systems we're being bombarded 24 7 and we can only come to church and hear the word of god for 55 minutes folks god said in order for you not to be conformed you got to be transformed and that's by the renewing of your mind our job i met with the worship team i said your job is to bring them in no matter what valley they're going through bring them up to the mountaintop our god is an awesome god he reigns from heaven above this is the renewing it's not that we're in church too much it's that we're not in church enough because in church comes the renewing oh somebody ought to say amen now you gotta understand sardis is the church that missed the rapture 
This is the church that makes the rapture. He says, first off, I am a holy God. I don't care what the world says or what the world does. They can call us carny. They can call us square. They can call us Jesus freaks. They can call us holier than thou. But when the rapture comes, I'm going up in the first resurrection and you're coming with me. Somebody say amen. The second thing he says is I am true. He said, I want you to tell the church. He said, I am a holy God and I am a true God. He's not a con artist. He's not just God on Sunday morning. He is God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. He's not conning us. He's not presenting something to us. You know, one of the greatest compliments I ever got was in Australia. I was, we were leaving Australia. We've been passing there for six years. And I took some of the main young men. I was a young man then. Took them out to, uh, 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 we rented dirt bikes and we went out camping and went out shooting our guns and stuff. And one of the young men said to me, he said, Pastor Larry, you know why you're so easy to follow? And I said, why? And he said, it's one of the greatest compliments I've He said, you're the same guy behind the pulpit as you are behind the fire, around the campfire. And this is what Jesus is saying. He said, what you see is what you get. He said, we're not just Christians on Sunday. We're not just Christians part-time. God is not just God part-time. And he said, as, and, he, and he's speaking to the leader of the church, the pastor. He said, be real, be genuine. This is not a con game. I'm not going to get up and take the word of God and con you out of an offering or con you out of this or con you out of that because the Bible says, be ye not many teachers for greater is your condemnation. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what the word of God says you need to hear and you can't hire me and you can't fire me because I. this is not a job. This is a calling from God and I I must never forget it, and neither should you. Somebody ought to say amen. It's not a job. You know, I have, I have pastors my age all the time ask me, when are you going to retire? How do you retire from a call of God? How do you retire from teaching the word of God? How do you retire from making a difference? How do you retire from changing the world? How do you retire? How do you stop being what God's called you to be, the light of the world. You can't. This is why he said, I am a holy God and I am a true God. I am what I am every moment of every day. And God needs a remnant of people that will be the same thing. Somebody say amen. Amen. Look at Isaiah. I'll pull it up on the board. If we can pull up Isaiah 22. The next thing he says is, I have the key of David. I have the key of David. Look how this ties in. If you can bring up Isaiah 22. It says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no man can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now leave that up there for a moment. This is a scripture in Isaiah that the Lord is using here at the church of Philadelphia. At the time of King Hezekiah, there was a leader. uh, um, It'd be like to to King Hezekiah, like chief of staff, the number two guy. And his name was Shebna. 
And Shebna got caught scamming the people in the king's name. Scamming the people in the king's name. And so God says to him, listen to this. I won't take, when you get a chance, read all of the whole, whole Isaiah 22. And I'll just paraphrase it for time. God said, I'm going to take you like a disc. You ever see a discus player who goes, he goes, and throws that thing out. God said, I'm going to throw you out. And I'm going to replace you with another. And the authority that you had, the authority that I gave you and you abuse, I'm going to give it to Elikim. Your authority is gone. God is saying here, right here, he said, for those of you who will be the church of Philadelphia, you'll love one another You'll be a holy people. You'll be a Christian in church. You'll be a Christian at work. You'll be a Christian at school. I'm going to give you the key of David. And whatever you open is going to be open. It's a symbol of authority that's been given by the king. It takes us back to when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ. He said, on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not win anymore. And he said, Peter, I give you the keys. We're going to understand in these last days when we are a holy people, when we are a true people, when we are a godly people, when we are worshiping a living God, God said, you can't even imagine the end time anointing that is going to come on this church because the church of philadelphia not only is the church that made the rapture they didn't go home with a moan they're going out with a shout we're going out the lender not the borrower listen to what i'm telling you we're going out above only not beneath we're not going out defeated we're going out from the mountaintop somebody ought to shout amen look what he says next well, okay, I got 10 more, 10 more minutes. He said, I will get involved. Now, let me, let me show you something. I was going to keep this for next week. He said, I'll give you authority. I'll give you keys. I will give you keys that when you understand this, doors will be open for you that no man can shut. And if you're going the wrong way, I'll shut doors that no one will open. Why? Because we're not going to go, we're not going to waste five years or three years or something. We're going to, if we're going through the wrong door because we're worshiping God, God will shut that door. And we need to recognize, you know, now I don't know about you, but there, there's some times that God shut the door and I kicked the door in. And when I got on the other side, I went, oops. God says in these last days, I won't even let you go through those doors. I'll shut the door. Nobody can open. You can bang on it all you want, but it ain't open. Why? Because we don't have time to waste. We are heading quickly to the end times and the coming of the Messiah. But he said, I will open doors for you. Say for me. I will open doors for you 
that no man can shut. You know, when I, when I read this, I, I thought about it. Many of you have been to Israel with me, and many of you have gone to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is, to many Christians, the holiest site in Christianity. I, I don't necessarily buy that, but okay. There are like six different denominations, Christian denominations, that use the church as their headquarters. But no Christian owes the key. A Muslim man owns the key. So here's this, the, the, the site of the holiest site in Christianity. But because Christians, these Christians literally get in fistfights with each other. Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, you know, some of them have this part, some of them, have, some of them are up on the roof. Some of them have a ladder that they come. I'm not joking. And so every morning to open up the holiest site in Christianity, a Muslim has the key. That is totally opposite of what God is saying here. He said, if you love one another, if you realize I am not a religious God, I am a holy God. If you realize I'm not a fake, a con man, I am a true God. I am the genuine thing. And if you realize that I have given you the keys, whatever door is open, understand it is me that has opened that. Now, let me wind this down because this is actually a two-part. In verse 8, look what it says. He says, I know your works. Read with me. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength, have kept my word, and not denied my name. Now, let me hit at least on one of these, because these three things are the key to the doors being opened by God for you. He said, number one, look at this, I know your works. I see what you're doing. I know what you're doing. It's good. I love what you're doing. I set before you an open door. Here's an open door. Now that may be, you know, I, I look back and, and I look at, you know, we were talking in the back here and I was talking with the worship team. You know, for the Messiah to come, the wall between Jews and Gentiles has to come down, right? For the Messiah to come, the wall between Jew and Gentiles has to come down. And when we tear that wall down, Will be our eyes will be open to the wisdom of God that's been hidden for 2,000 years. We're a major player in that. We're a major player. When I first started teaching, we haven't replaced Israel. We've been grafted in. I was labeled a heretic for years. I had people get up in my church in Portland and walk out the door. Because God is done with Israel. How many realize God has not done with Israel? Amen. And I look at that and I think, God, why did you open that door for me? Why did you, why did you allow me, of all people, an ex-drug addict, an ex-drug dealer, to see this? And it wasn't like I researched it and found it. It was just like it dropped on me from heaven. I go, hey, hey, hey guys, guess what? We haven't replaced Israel. There they go. (laughs) Why me? Well, it's because God chooses the foolish to confound the wise. Say, well, pastor, how does that tie in? 
Well, it doesn't matter if it's a revelation. It doesn't matter if it's a business. It doesn't matter what it is. He said, I have opened the door. And then listen to the next verse. It's almost like, is, this, is, is he slapping them in the face? He said, I have opened the door that no man can shut. Oh, thank you, Lord, because you have little strength. It's like saying, you know, Larry, you don't sweat much for a fat guy. <laughs> what in the world? I've opened this door because you have little strength. You know what he's saying? He's saying, because you understand, it's me who opens the door. This is not an insult. Go with me to first, Second Corinthians 12, 6. You, we, you've got to read this. This is what God is saying. And gosh, for these last times, as we're pulling that up, do we have it? Okay, look at me a second. In these last days, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me prophetically. In these last days, God wants to raise up prophets and prophetesses and apostles and pastors and teachers. God wants, right here, right here, God wants to raise up gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, the gifts of the Spirit. Right here, right here amongst us, right here amongst us. But we've got to understand pride comes before a fall. What's happened to the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden we, we pray for somebody and they get healed or we pray for somebody and they get delivered and we go, don't touch the anointing. And God said, look at what it says here. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. Though I desire to brag on myself, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Go to the next one. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Go to the next one. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Go to the next one. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in I have opened a door for you that no man can shut because you are weak. It is not them saying, oh, we are nothing. It is them saying, we give you all the praise and all the glory. Father, if it wasn't for you, and when we forget that, pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Wow, look at what I've done. I've built this church, or I've built this business, or I've done this, or I've done that. And God shouts to us, 
Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. It's not that we think less of ourselves than we ought to. That's what Paul is saying. But he said, lest you think I am something. Listen, you and I don't have the power to blow fuzz off a peach without the power and the anointing of God. You say, well, pastor, but I'm the one that trained and became a great athlete. It is God who gave you the body to be that athlete. But pastor, I went to college and got all these degrees. It is God who gave you the money to go to college. It is God who gave you the brain to go to college. But pastor, I invented this thing and made a bunch of money. It is God who gave you the witty inventions. We've got to understand what he is saying here. The church that God has nothing bad to say. He said, you know, it is me who gives you power in your hands to gain wealth. And the moment you think it's you or the moment I think it's me that anointing leaves but we are made strong when we understand our weakness it's not I'm a nobody but it's I am the child of the mighty God of heaven and he is the one who opens these doors pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. What did he say to Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel, you got to lay the bricks. You got to pour the mortar. You got to go get them. You got to bring it out. You got to carry it. But it's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. Shout grace, Zerubbabel. Grace. Listen, I can remember... When I was asked by the Israeli government to be on the board of the Israeli Ally Foundation in Washington, D.C., and for the world. And I told Tiz, I said, I'm out of my league. I I don't think I can do this. I don't want to go to Washington and make a fool of myself. I said, you know, I'll, I'll talk the Bible, but this is, the, I'm, I'm not the one to do this. This is not me. And Tis says, shout grace. Amen. Shout grace. And I said, well, I'll do it. But man, I mean to tell you, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I got pride. I don't want to go to Washington and sit in the meeting at the Capitol. And they go, what? <laughs> but I remember I was invited up. And Jason Greenblatt said, now I just left the president. We're going to come up with a peace. We're going to announce tomorrow a peace plan for the Middle East. But we want to know what you say. And there was six or seven of us at the table. And one guy got up and rightly so and said, here's what the Bible says and this and that. And he said, Pastor Larry, what do you think? I said, why come up with a peace plan? We already got the Taylor Force Act. We already got the settlement. We already moved the embassy. And we went over this and over this. No two-state solution. No divided Jerusalem. I'm sitting there. This guy, he said, I'm going right from here back to the president. And all of a sudden, this girl walks up and whispers in his ear, his assistant. He goes, that's the president. I got to go. And he looks at me and goes, so we do nothing? I said, give Israel sovereign rights over the Golan Heights. And it'll protect Israel, and it'll be biblically correct. Two days later, President Trump goes, you know, we've decided not to have a peace plan, but we're going to give Israel sovereign rights over the Golan Heights. 
And the reason I share that, the reason I share that, when I first got saved, I had done drugs so much for so many years that they put me, I, have, I, have, I lacked just a couple courses for my second degree from the university, but I had done drugs for so long, for so many years, that they put me in the 15 and under Sunday school class. I couldn't talk. And I'll tell you, even to this day, there are times when I'm speaking and I feel a blank spot come across my mind. And you say, well, pastor, that's because you're getting, you're getting old. You know, what were we talking about? No, actually, the older I get, the better it gets. But I couldn't talk. But God has taken me. I mean, I would, I would sit, we'd do Bible study, and I would sit there, and they would, at this friend's house, and they'd put me in a rocking chair, and I'd sit there and never say a word. I, I was, my brain was 90% gone from heroin and cocaine and LSD and everything else. And here I am teaching generational curses, seven places Jesus shed his blood, Jewish roots, standing with Israel. I just met with, the, I met with the prime minister of Israel, the vice prime minister of Israel, the head rabbi of Jerusalem. Why? Because you never forget God chooses the foolish. Why does he choose the foolish? Because we're so aware it's not us. And we will give him all the praise and all the glory. Can I have an amen? Would you stand with me all over the building if you would? I'm going to finish this second part next time we come together. Next Sunday we have uh, the drama, correct? Resurrection Sunday, Passover, bring somebody. This, uh, this Saturday we're going to do an outreach. This, I'll, I'll call you up in a minute. This Saturday we're going to do an outreach. Last Saturday we did an outreach to our high school. We decided... We're going to start going after high school, after high school, after high school. And they went up there. They prayed for people. People got saved, walked around the high school claiming it. Lydia prayed with one person, got filled, baptized in the Holy Ghost. God's got an army marching through the land. Amen. But here's the thing that, do I need that? Get out of here. Get out of here. You're, you're killing the anointing. Here's the thing that I want you to realize. God will open a door for you that no man can shut. But we've got to remember we have to give him all the praise and all the glory. Amen? If you lay hands on somebody and their blind eyes open, Friday night, we're going to see miracles. I guarantee you, we're going to see miracles. We're going to have testimonies of miracles. We prayed for people. I didn't even know, I didn't even know what happened afterwards. We prayed for people, uh, amazing miracles. People being delivered, people being, their businesses being blessed. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? But in these last days, God is going to send you out with the anointing of the Church of Philadelphia. But it begins with loving one another. Now listen to what God put in my spirit. They will know that you're my disciples and that you love one another. Listen, that doesn't mean people won't wrong you. People will wrong you. People will say, 
all kinds of bad things about you. I, I love, and we're going to get into this. He said, those who came against you, they're going to end up coming and saying, Amen. it says they're going to worship at your feet. Now, I don't, you know. <laughs> but people called me a heretic. I was a heretic. Even my family called and said, are you still a Christian? But we stuck with it. We stayed the course. And now all of a sudden, look what's happening. We're changing the world. You're a world changer. If God can use me to change the world, God can use you to change the world. It starts with loving one another. I want every head bowed, eye or eye closed. They came to Jesus. Now, this, th- what I'm about to say to you is going to set you up for this whole next week of miracles. A whole week of miracles, one after another. They came to Jesus and they said, Lord, when you pray, blind eyes open, water comes out of a rock, the waters are parted, leprosy is healed, gold coins come out of fish's mouth. When you pray, it's not just religion. When you pray, something happens. And they said, teach us how to pray. This is a very Jewish thing where you go to your rabbi and you say, show me how you pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, who art in heaven, your name is holy. Your name is above every name. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. We know all those things. But he said, forgive those who trespass against you. I think about when Jesus invited me in, how I used his name as a cuss word, how I mocked religion, mocked Christianity, mocked Christians, but God still loved me. We're to forgive people the way he forgave us. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, no one's looking around. You say, pastor, and I'm not saying somebody didn't harm you, somebody didn't hurt you. Maybe somebody abandoned you as a child. Maybe a husband left you. Maybe somebody ripped you off in business, whatever it is. Can I give you the key? We battle not with flesh and blood, but we do battle with principalities and powers. People are not our enemy. And when you discover who the thief is, and it's not him or her, it's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Once you discover that, then everything that's been stolen begins to come multiplied back into your life. This is the end time, the brotherly love. You're here right now and say, Pastor, I know that if I make a mistake, God forgives me. But I know it's conditional that I forgive others. There's someone who hurt me, someone who ripped me off, someone who betrayed me. But right now, I want to ask you, Lord, to forgive me for not forgiving because I'm forgiving them right now. If this is you, slip your hand up all over the building and just hold it there a moment. Just hold it there a moment. Just hold it there a moment. You've been hurt. It's real. You've been hurt. You've been ripped off. You've been, you've been broken. You've been wounded. You've been damaged. Somebody did. Some of them have said, now put your hands down. Look at me a second. Probably about 90% of the room because we've all been there. But when we discover who the thief is, if you take a hammer A hammer can destroy that wall or a hammer can build that wall. You don't give the hammer the blame and you don't give the hammer the glory. If I lay hands on you and you got healed, who healed you? 
God did. If I rip you off, who ripped you off? The devil. Is we're just humans are just tools. That's why I said when you discover who the enemy is, and the enemy is the devil, amen? amen. Then everything you've lost comes back. Say it's coming back. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together. Give me two more minutes. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. You say, Pastor Larry, I want to begin. As we're going into Good Friday, we're going into Passover, we're going into Easter, I want to give my life rededicate my life except jesus christ as my lord and savior maybe you've done this before but you've kind of fallen away maybe you've never done it before today is the day of salvation as every head is bowed every eye, what a great time to receive the lord as we're going into good friday resurrection sunday passover the, nothing but victory like that song they said is you 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 always win the battle you always win today right now god wants to begin winning the battle for you as every head is bowed every eyes closed no one looking around you say pastor would you remember in prayer i'm giving or rededicating my life to lord slip your hand up all over the building and just hold it there for the whole time i say whole families keep it up the whole time because i want to see everyone i see that hand 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 my thank you that hand 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 i see that hand that hand that hand god bless that hand 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 god bless anybody else wave it at me if you're just putting it up right now that hand god bless amen amen give these people a great big clap offering amen that is awesome that is awesome i am so proud of you i am so proud of you you know what happens when we put when we have an altar call you know what happens when we have an altar call when i first say if you want to lift your hand many times nobody raises their hand And then one person raises their hand. And when I go, I see that hand, then all of a sudden all kinds of hands start going up. You know why? You know why? Because the Bible says that we're sheep and that a shepherd leads us. And understand this, as I'm a sheep, you're a sheep, he, he, the great shepherd, will lead us beside still waters. He'll lead us into green pastures. So it's not just we're raising our hand as a religious duty. We're raising our hand because Jesus Christ is about to change our life forever. Amen. Now, normally I would pull you forward, but because I've gone five minutes over, let's pray together right now. Say this out loud. Lift your hands. Say this out loud. Say, Father, I come to you right now. Is my mic going on and off? Okay. I come to you right now. In the name of Jesus, I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now say this. Come on. Look, look, open your eyes. Lift your hands up. Say this like, say this like you are the baddest dude on the planet. Because you are. Because wherever you go, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords going with you. Right? You are the bad. Yeah, you know that saying, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. 
for the Lord is with me and he is the baddest dude in the valley. Amen. Say it, say it with your hands lifted. Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my mind. Get out of my body. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my home. Get out of my family. Get out of my finances. Get out of my future. I declare in the name by his blood, every curse is reversed and every blessing is received. I serve a resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is my God. Greater is he that's in me than anything in this world. If you receive that, give him a shout, a resurrection, an almighty God shout. I'm going to have Watterson come up and Luke come up.